listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast, episode 113, The Box Trolls. Oh, Mason, where art thou? One of the best ways to support the Animation Addicts Podcast is by using our Amazon affiliate link, rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. You are really able to find anything, anything you can your heart's desires, like art books, or a box, and trolls. More box trolls! <laughs> or a box for your troll. <laughs> Yay! Make sure to check out rotoscopers.com slash Amazon. Hello, my name is Chelsea Robson, and this... Sorry. Go, go. <laughs> Let's just start all over. We're out... Threw off our groove. Both of threw us. Threw off our groove. Mason threw off our groove. Seriously. My name is Chelsea Robson. And I'm Morgan Stradling. And you're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. We are so excited we are together. Yes. Mace, we are Masonless, which has not happened in a long time. So if you are new to the Animation Addicts podcast and you're like, who is this Mason guy they keep talking about? Mason is the star of our show. Basically. We love Mason. I was talking to Chelsea earlier today. I was like, man, we really got to step up our game because we're going to have Mason here. But true. Mason is amazing and we're really sad that he's not able to be here. However, the show must go on. It so must. We are Chelsea and Morgan or Morgan and Chelsea. <laughs> Maybe we switch bodies. Um, and we're here. Joining you for the Animation Addicts podcast, where we are talking about a movie called The Box Trolls. Now, The Box Trolls is an amazing film, and this was actually selected by one of our patrons um, on Patreon. So, for those of you, again, who are new to the show, our show basically covers all things animation, past and present, and we review animated films, at least at this point in time. When eventually we review every single animated film that has ever been released, then we'll move into other things. But we do dabble in uh, other things from time to time. But one of the perks of being a patron is that they get to select what movies we review. And I was really excited when they selected The Box Trolls, because The Box Trolls had a light, hot, lot of hype leading up to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was very impressed when I saw it multiple times. And again, watching it this time. They've got the whole world in their hands. 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 They've got the flowers and the trees in I, th- that was the first thing that I remember about this movie was that first commercial, that first trailer that they pulled out where basically it was just showing everybody the the innards of the movie. Like, they showed them how they made it. They had mm-hmm. all of the props. They didn't show anything about the story, nothing about the story. It was all about, this is what we do. This is mm-hmm. Leica. Everything is real. You can touch it. And we make movies with our hands. And I just, I loved that part about yeah, see, the first trailer that I remember seeing was the one where it says, some families have a mom and mm-hmm. a dad. Other families just have one mom <laughs> and no dads. Some other families have this and that. And they show all these different variations of families and what they could be. And some have a fat aunt who loves to eat cheese, who's smelly. And they and some families, you know, don't have any parents at all. And, and they have boxes. And, and so I remember that being one of the first teaser trailers that they, they released. And this film leading up to it had a lot of hype because mm-hmm. first off, we're talking about a Leica film and Leica is uh, an incredible studio. They focus specifically on stop motion. 
stop motion animated films, which is not necessarily a lost art form, but it's not as prominent as mm-hmm. as even CGI or 2D. Uh, it's kind of the lesser cousin or sister of those. And so Leica really has made a name for itself in being that studio to really uh, push the boundaries of not only stop motion, but of animation in general. Mm-hmm. I think the, the types of stories that they tell are, are very interesting and they're not the status quo and they're not what you know, you would define as animation, uh, you know, the, if you were to randomly pull a hundred animated films together, you, you're not going to find a lot of elements that in those yeah. that are similar that you would find in Leica films, I guess. So, yeah, that's true. Um, my favorite thing in preparation for this, for this podcast was I went in and I was, I was really interested in the CEO of Leica and his name is Travis Knight. And I was going through and, um, so, cause the reason why, I mean, first off, it's, it's a brand new company, you know, less than 15 years old. So it's very, very new. And it's, this is only their fourth movie, uh, or they're making their fourth. Was this their fourth? It was Coraline. Well, they did Coraline, two. then Paranorman, then Box Trolls, and then now they're on their fourth, which is Kobe and the Two Strings. Okay. So it's very new. And yet you look around and there's so much of a following that they have. And everybody that is so, everybody that is a follower, they're very much. I'm a Leica fan. I love Leica. Leica's great. Mm-hmm. And you sh- and that's that's how it is. And that is something that so many so many um, studios can't ever get yes. to. They'll never have that because. And I was like, why? Why is that? And all of the director's commentaries and, you know, all of the different things that I watch, they always look back to Travis Knight. Well, Travis Knight wants. Well, Travis mm-hmm. really wants. Well, what he... And so that was probably the biggest thing is you looked at... You look him up. And so he's the producer, the CEO, and the lead animator on all of the films. So that's... Yeah, he has a lot on his plate. <laughs> a lot. <laughs> a lot on his plate. But I think... Of all of those talents that he has, his biggest talent is casting the vision of where he wants his company to go. And I think that was something that I found just so incredible, just watching everything about just and then I watched some of the some of his interviews mm-hmm. and just like his demeanor is very focused. It's very much this is how this is what I want and not in a not in a overbearing way at all. It's just more of very blinders on. This is what I want. This is my vision. This is what I see. And I I think that that is one of the main reasons that so many people, not only in the company, are drawn to the company itself, but to the movies themselves. Mm -hmm. Like, the content shows that. Yeah. Well, you have a CEO that really is kind of the name face of your brand. It it helps to personify the studio you know you have Walt Disney where Walt it was his vision Mm -hmm. even John Lasseter with Pixar uh, very much is this hero to Pixar fans because it's he is this beacon of light and this guiding light for people and and Travis Knight is in good company in in being able to do that and it's no wonder that you know Leica has such a great following so uh, yes very very exciting Mm -hmm. there one one thing that I learned about it though and I I was thinking because not all those are some qualities that are that can be learned, for sure. But some people, it, they come a little bit more natural than others. And I was looking more into him. It looks, it was actually found out that his dad was Phil Knight, who is the CEO and founder of Nike. 
like the tennis shoe. Hmm. And so he was obviously grew up with that type of of a CEO example in front of him, but didn't want to go make shoes for a living. And so (laughs) he was like, he talked about how when he grew up, he just wanted to go and play with these things and make these movies, but he wanted to be an animator, but he couldn't really draw. So this is what he would do. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and so what happened was, Phil decided that he would help him. And so Phil is actually the owner of Leica mm-hmm. and was the original fronter of all the money, which, which I thought was fantastic because it really could be a, an artist run company. They didn't have to go to hedge funds. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to go to executives. Yeah. They didn't have to, you know, kind of talk to anybody else to do what they really wanted to do. And luckily <laughs> all of their movies have paid off. So yes. that's, I mean, if it hadn't been from that beginning one, if Coraline hadn't paid off so so big, and it really was their biggest one, um, then I don't think it would have been Studio as... Jiggling, as we like yes. to call them. <laughs> <Jiggling>. <laughs> I don't think it would have, I don't think it would have stayed around. Yeah. So. Very cool. Yeah, and another reason why they are headquartered in Oregon, because that's where Nike's headquarters yes. is. For all his life, Eggs and his adopted family have struck fear into the hearts of their neighbors above. Bookstores are monsters. And because they were a bit, well, different, they spend their days happily underground and their nights foraging the streets safe from human sight. Now, <laughs> when I destroy every last box troll, they'll make me the most respected man in this town. When their lives are threatened, they drag us away and we do nothing. No. They'll find help <laughs> where they least expect it. If I agree to help, you have to do exactly as I say. First things first, off with the box. Stop that! Come on, X. Here come the exterminators of justice! We can fight back! So the movie, The Box Trolls, was released. I mean, it just feels like yesterday. I feel like we just recently were talking about this (laughs) film, but time flies and it does not wait for anyone. And so it was released September 26, 2014. Uh, Two directors, there was Graham Annable and Anthony Stacci. And so... Graham, it was his first time directing, and 
um, Anthony, he was a co-director. He also was a director, co-director on Open Season. So budget, another thing that Like is able to do is they're able to keep their budget down, surprisingly. You know, you think, okay, I'm working in the physical world with physical media. It probably would increase the scope of the project. But their their budgets are very small compared to most CGI and tra- um, even traditionally animated films. So $60 million budget. Um, it's kind of uh, maybe on the high side for them yeah. a little bit. Well, I mean, as far as the medium itself, it's kind of high. Yeah. Because you look at, like, Shaun the Sheep was made this last year, and it was only $25 million budget. And then Frank and Weenie, which came out the same year, was $39 million. Um, but Paranorman and Box Trolls are both at about $60 million. So they've kind of found their sweet spot as far as this is how much money we are going to be putting into films. Mm-hmm. Um, which, like I said, high for the medium, low for the the in, um, animation in general. Mm-hmm. But um, they've they they made it work. So they made a hundred and hundred and nine million dollars worldwide. Mm-hmm. Which coming off the end of Star Wars or even right. the beginning of Star Wars, where it did that not like almost in a day, basically um, more than that in a day. Well. It did a lot. It did a lot. Trying to think. I think uh, Thursday nights totals were combined with... Anyways, Star Wars is just blowing everything out of the water, basically. And so I look at this and I'm like, $109 like for your whole theatrical run, is not that great. Um, however, it did break that hundred if you're million comparing. mark. Yeah, when you're comparing <laughs> the behemoth Star of Star Wars, uh, but not fair. it's not anywhere near what even some of the worst Pixar films have done. Oh no. But nonetheless, it did, you know, was able to make money back, which continues the studio to go forward. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's interesting because there's so much love for Leica, but it doesn't seem to be a film that necessarily has, or, or a studio that necessarily does these blockbuster films mm-hmm. that just explode. Everyone sees them. Everyone's talking about them. Definitely, as is the medium of stop motion that they're working in, very niche. And I think that might just because be because stop motion films in general don't do as well as traditional or yeah. CGI, uh, which is kind of a shame because I loved this movie. Mm-hmm. I thought everything about this movie was expertly done and, and almost a masterpiece. So, yeah. Um, here's some, here's some fun factoids for you. First off, if you want to go find more information about it, definitely the DVD was a great, and the blue, sorry, (laughs) Blu-ray. Um, all of those are fantastic resources just to find out a little bit more about not only the medium, but also the company itself. And then also you can find online, um, there's a making of the box trolls at Google. You know, the the directors came and they're like, Hey, we're going to teach these five people that showed up for my discussion. I was like so mad when I watched it. Cause I was like, <laughs> there are like 50 open seats in there. Why aren't I there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I would include a link to, let's see, we did a, not only we did a video review of the mm-hmm. Blu-ray, a written review. Um, and then we have a video review of the film and a written review of the film. In addition to a written review and a, uh, a video review of the art book, which I, as preparing for this, used all of those resources. I went back to my reviews. I went back and watched some of the bonus features and watched the film, which was on Netflix, which made it very, very easy. Yeah. Almost everyone has Netflix nowadays, at least in the States. And uh, the art book especially, I would very, very highly recommend because I feel it went even into some areas and avenues that we didn't even explore in the bonus features mm-hmm. of the actual, you know, DVD home media release. So all of these together, I think, are a must-have, especially for the director's commentary, where, I mean, 
if you love this film, you love this medium, you love the studio, all of those you have to buy. So yeah. I'll include links so you can support the show in doing so. <laughs> I'll not only include links to read those reviews, but to actually purchase if you're interested. So soundtrack was good too. Oh, oh yeah, <laughs> we actually had the soundtrack. Um, so we didn't actually talk about this, but Chelsea and I are in the same physical space. Yeah, hey, we, we I mentioned said. that if you're watching the video, obviously you know this, but uh, we mentioned that Mason was gone and that kind of was the big thing. But another big thing is that Chelsea and I are recording this podcast together. And already I love it so much more than our normal means yeah. of, of doing this just because I feel like our interaction is just so much more immediate. And, <laughs> right. And, but, um, the reason I mentioned that is because one of our patron rewards is we have this thing called the animation treasure chest where, you know, we get sent a lot of stuff uh, to, to review and, and some things we don't get to, we don't request them. And I have no interest in reviewing certain things. So they kind of sit on my bookshelf, which is a bit empty right now, but, uh, part of the animation treasure chest was the box troll CD. So that mm-hmm. is something in there that someone could pick if they are selected as a winner. Anyways, fun little factoid. If you yes, become yes. a patron and you'll be able to be entered into that contest. But the music was so good in this film. Yeah. Because when I was re-watching this film, I was just, I felt that the score was just, it just took me back mm-hmm. to my initial viewings of this film, and it really did do a great job to create the mood. Now, yeah. Chelsea had something very uh, interesting that she wanted to do, but due to time constraints, we could not do, but it was a, her homage to... Yes. The- well, okay, so you guys, if you remember watching it, so one thing that I thought was super great, uh, super great, <laughs> one thing that I saw, thought was super great was I mean, they they were so aware not only of the not only of the story but also of the soundtrack as well that they implemented different parts of the soundtrack, very unique parts of the soundtrack into the film itself. For example, if you're watching and as there's one montage where you know um, where Eggs is growing up and it has. A fish right next to him, and he's playing a melodic saw. Mm, the best kind. The of best saws. kind. <laughs> Everyone should own a melodic saw. I happen to have one, and I did not. I was not able to bring it today because I was going to start out the podcast with me playing the melodic saw. My, it's my mother's. You know, God. <laughs> the gosh, thing, bless her. <laughs> the things that you find at my house will always surprise you. <laughs> Uh, and she is quite a connoisseur and quite a, um, a protege of yeah, the, she, the melodic song. She does quite well. Um, her favorite song is Home on the Range. Oh. But, oh, an American it's, classic. It's amazing, yes. And then Christmas time rolls around and she always pulls out, um, what is the song? I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. Ooh, yes, but you've so, never heard that rendition before on the <laughs> saw. Mm. So everyone needs to have a melodic saw. That's really what it is. But um, point point is, like, I thought that was so so amazing because they were they have to create these things so far in advance. And to be so aware of even the musical and instrumentation of the score that they wanted in here to be able to put a prop of a melodic saw was pretty... I mean, that just goes to show you how much of a vision mm-hmm. all of these movies are. They're, everything is just kind of wrapped around itself. Yeah, I also loved the Italian barbershop quartet, mm-hmm. which, you know, was... Uh, for. Just to talk about the film, basically, the box trolls, they are uh, quite simply trolls that <laughs> inhabit boxes, hence their name, and they're bit scavengers. They live in the underlings of society. They kind of live in the sewers. They have this own little place that they create, and they are kind of uh, tinkers, like Tinkerbell. Mm-hmm. They love to 
tinker around with things and build. They love gadgets. So they do go up to the surface of the streets, and they're able to find different pieces of... You went up to the surface again. Yes. <laughs> Didn't you? <laughs> Didn't you? <laughs> they find mechanics and different innards of, of different uh, things, and then create stuff out of it, which is really exciting. And one of these things that they find in one of their dumpster diving adventures is this soundtrack or this this uh, old record for a barbershop quartet. And I just loved even that. It's your classic montage series or, or sequence. And that actual recording mm-hmm. uh, is the one that we hear. as, And I, I just loved it. I thought very unique choices mm-hmm. in the score overall. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. I have here a list of, in my... In my research, I have a list of quoted my research. Yes, <laughs> this is well, that's probably the most um, quoted TV quote we ever use. Yes, <laughs> Magic School Bus, <laughs> Nerdy Girl, <laughs> Nerdy Girl. Yes. Um, so I, I found twelve box troll facts that you probably didn't need to know. Sound music. <laughs> All right, and Morgan and I are going to go back and forth on these. Um, and we're going to start out with the film is 87 minutes long, which equals 5,220 5, seconds, which equals 125,280 frames. All done by hand, ladies That's and a lot of picture taken. Mm-hmm. So, number two box troll fact that you probably didn't need to know, but we're going to tell you anyways. There were 330 people on Laika's crew, not counting voice actors, sound engineers, and other people who worked at other facilities. So just on the actual set location. Yeah. 330. It's a lot of people. All right. Number three. The production period totaled 72 weeks. Including, this is once they start filming, Yeah, once they started filming, it's like, to the end. Yeah, and something interesting is that I think when I imagine how stop motion is done, it's just like, we're working on this one scene. And it's not. It's just like any other animated studio, animation mm-hmm. studio where you have, you know, legions of animators who are all working on different scenes and whatnot. This is the same thing. They just mm-hmm. have actual physical sets in uh, their studio, which, you know, this guy's working on this scene, this guy's working on that scene. So, yes. Nonetheless, all these people still took 72 weeks. Mm-hmm. Number four. The whole Leica stu- Studio set is on about 3.5 acres. That's big. That is quite big. That's quite large. <laughs> <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> All right. Now, next we have um, more than 20,000 props were handmade for the movie. Very nice. So next fun. one, there are 14 different fabrics on Lord Portly Ryan's white hat, which is crazy. The, I mean, the hat is probably like this big. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, and, and I'm thinking like four or five inches mm-hmm. ish. Yeah. Because these characters, these these maquettes are are quite big. Right. In themselves. So in those hats, likewise, they, they go are up. Very big. Fourteen different fabrics, all sewn by hand. That's so much detail. It's incredible. Next up, the movie's smallest prop was a tiny sewing thread and needle. Oh. <laughs> Um, let's see. Uh, Elle Fanning and Isaac Hampstead Wright, who are the voices of Winnie and Eggs, they share the same birthday, April 9th. Ooh, coincidence. I think not. I think not. <laughs> so, the sounds, the songs sound distinctly Monte Python-esque because they were written by Eric Idle himself. Well, yes. There we go. If you're a fan of Monty Python, you're like, oh, it's him, yes. obviously. <laughs> Google him. You'll be like, oh, it's him, obviously. 
Yes. And the next one is Foley artists found the source for their sound in some public art on display at a Boston airport. So basically it just consists of metal machines that are doing nothing functional, but it's like an art show gallery that they just kind of started moving things around and that's where they got the sounds for this movie. Nice. Next up, the Box Trolls animators made over 1.5 million different faces for the characters, which never would have been possible if it weren't for 3D printing. So that's one thing that's really interesting about how Leica works and stop motion, how it has progressed with technology, is that they use 3D printing to print all the different variations of the faces. And instead of actually swapping the head out, they just swap the face or sometimes, you know, the bottom. Sometimes they're in two parts. Sometimes the whole Mm -hmm. face. Sometimes they just swap out the eyes will leave the mouth or vice versa so uh, 3d printing is amazing and i think it's so cool that it's utilized in animation that way Mm -hmm. yeah and they even they talked about how in the box trolls they got to it so they even got color which before it was just like plain Mm -hmm. you know plasticky materials but as progressions went on they started improving their 3d printers to actually add color which was like eh, nice all right and then the stop motion frames burning in the furnace um at the very end are courtesy of a working ipad on display on a loop of the video um in the mouth of the device so basically that same video i don't know for sure but think about it as that video that you turn on on youtube <laughs> that is like the, the your, yuletide the log. yule log <laughs> they just have the yule log playing on the inside of that just to add it all that's ingenious. Very like nice. It. So there you go. 12 facts that you probably didn't mean to probably know about the box trolls, but now you know. And with that, until next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're actually going to go into the full movie now. I really liked at the very beginning when they opened up the scene how they set up the importance of the white hats and they set up the importance of actually why um, Snatcher Mm -hmm. wanted it Mm -hmm. and what was his motivation through the whole thing. I, I really liked Yeah, so one of the biggest things that stood out to me, uh, initial viewing, multiple viewings, and even this viewing, is the the theme of uh, status symbols, hierarchy, class, Mm -hmm. and very clearly, I think this film does a great job of making that very visceral. So not only are the themes very able to be understood, you know, when they're talking about it or, you know, through the dialogue and the plot, but through the visuals Mm -hmm. of the actual... um, movie. So one of the things that art book talks about, the art book is not presented in a way where, okay, we're going to talk about characters, then we're going to talk about landscapes, then we're going to talk about this, then we're going to talk about special effects. That's how a lot of art books are laid out. Um, this one was laid out in the different way of the, the different class system of Cheese Bridge. Because um, you see in the city, it's it's very, you know, it's a pyramid and you have to climb to the top and the white hats are at the top. Next up are kind of the more common people and that's where Snatcher and his gang are and their aspirations is to climb up to where the white hats are and then even uh you know then there's the the city and the people and general denizens of cheese bridge and then even below that are the box trolls which are not accepted by society they are seen as monsters and thieves and kidnappers basically Mm -hmm. um 
And so that's how the art book is set up. And I thought that was just a very clever, ingenious cool. way to, to talk about it because you're able to hit all the main points um, through that. But I think that is one of the main overall uh, structure of this film is this, what is class? What defines you? Who are you? Um, the symbols that define us in society. Mm-hmm. And white hat from the very beginning is something that they did a great job saying, this is something that I aspire to. Mm-hmm. And it's this white hat. I have a red hat, but that's not good enough. I mean, a hat is a hat in reality, but it's what the hat represents. Yeah. And especially to Snatcher, which he went on this adventure. Not on this adventure. I mean, maybe from his side. I love one of the very first lines, like, oh, isn't this the duality of good people? <laughs> like, those two henchmen. I love those henchmen. They're so great. Um, and they could see kind of... They, they did not want to be bad guys, but in their minds, they were they were doing good because they were ridding this town of the box trolls. Uh, but Snatcher's his his motivations throughout are to climb the ranks and to become a white hat. And I love that because his motivations were not very one sided. Of I want to take over the world, I want the most money in the mm-hmm. world, world domination. It was he wanted to be accepted by society and that high society, mm-hmm. which you know he probably been wanting to be a part of since he was young. Even going into uh, how the White Hats themselves, one of the things that they do, this is a town called Cheesebridge. Everything is cheese-related. You know, that joke about milk turning into curds. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I love that part. And it, like, it goes, and then right right away it it pans over to the guy who, like, dropped his his, um, drum and cymbal. And I was like, that is clever. (laughs) Um, And even for the White Hats, one of the things, the symbols of that class is that they eat cheese and very fine cheese. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was very interesting. I'm like totally jumping ahead here. That Snatcher, he had this aspiration for something that he's probably wanted for so long, yet it wasn't good for him. This wasn't what he needed. Okay, sitting there eating cheese with the magistrates was not going to ever bring him happiness. Right. Yet it, he, he was won- allergic to it. Yes. yes. It was and, everything that wasn't good for him. Yes. And and brought on this terrible rash and infection and they had to bring the leeches and, you know, in that very first scene where you see his rash and they're in- they introduce that to you. Even his uh, closest confidants and henchmen, they know this is not good for him. And yet he yearns for it so much they kind of just they try to keep it from him but they can't because Mm -hmm. you want what you want and whether it's good for you or bad for you and um i just thought that was interesting we don't ever see him except that maybe this isn't for me uh this he doesn't he explodes no he literally (laughs) explodes he literally explodes but just because it's good for someone does not mean it's good for everybody right yeah or even if we do have a great goal in life sometimes you do need to take a, a step back and say is this Something that will bring me happiness? Is this something that I really need or want or whatnot? So that's one of the, the things that I've been thinking about since watching. Mm-hmm. There are a lot a lot of cool things. I mean, you, you focus on on the point of, of society climbing and mm-hmm. how each one of these people have, have a goal that mm-hmm. they're trying to get to. Mm-hmm. And even the, even the box trolls, they don't have a goal necessarily other than just to, you know, be the do their thing do they just exist. want yeah they just want to exist and they have like perfect souls and they're just like so loving um and yet they're the ones that end up with the sins of society basically mm-hmm. and they're ca- cast aside and and really pushed under um 
And I liked how the whole story, basically, Eggs, is a boy that was stolen and was basically raised by these box trolls since he was a baby. And now he's 10 years old and he is, he's been a box troll and over the last many 10 years, um, Snatcher has been trying to capture all of these box trolls because, you know, I'm all... All spoilers. All spoilers here. Mm-hmm. But I loved how they I loved how they brought all of these these stories together. How he basically he con he concocted the story of that, you know, this the boy was stolen and they ended up eating the dad. So when really he captured the dad, put him in a hole and hung him upside down for ten years. Torture chamber. <laughs> Great. And then basically made a plan that okay. Well, I've put all of my sins on these creatures. I'm going to continue this farce and get exactly what I want out of it by con- basically telling the the head of Cheese Town, <laughs> Cheese Lord Bridge, Portly Rind, Lord Portly Rind, um, basically saying, "Hey, if I get rid of all of the box trolls, I'm going to get a white hat, your white hat," and um, so it's just. It's really interesting how they tied all of these things together mm-hmm. and made you really kind of just go along with it. And I I love the characters. You know, so we had Elle Fanning, who was Winnie. And I, how did you like her voice? I liked it. I love it. I, yeah. So I feel that Elle Fanning in this film was a very familiar voice, mm-hmm. especially since her sister, Dakota, had, vo- had voiced Coraline yeah. uh, a few years earlier. And um, I just... I loved everything about this character, from the voice to the design to how sassy she was mm-hmm. to just bossy. I loved her design. I loved, yes. yes. Yes, and her design was very classic. Like, here's this rich girl with the pigtail, uh, pigtails and... Even body shape was just, like, porcelain doll. Like It was very appealing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she, to me, stole the show in every scene that she mm-hmm. was in, and I just... Even now, I'm like, I want more... I want more witty. <laughs> Kimmy Winnie. <laughs> Um, and then Isaac Hampstead as, I'm sorry, Hampstead Wright as Eggs. Mm-hmm. Um, I I thought that he did a good job, especially over the period of like, I mean, in a way, the whole, I wouldn't say the, the whole movie kind of rested on theirs, mm-hmm. both of those together mm-hmm. and how they did. And I felt like both of them did really well. Mm-hmm. And Snatcher. Snatcher was yes. probably, oh. he had a great voice. Yes. I felt the entire time I'm looking around like, who is this guy? But like, I, I had like four different people in mind as far as who he was, but, um, I was wrong on all accounts, <laughs> but I mean, it happens. I know. And, uh, let's not forget his alter ego, Lady Fru-Fru. Fru-Fru. <laughs> that was funny. Oh. I loved that. Yeah. Just that he had this, you know. Again, he is trying to climb the ladder of society, and he has this alter any ego co- where he is, uh, you know, a female, which just basically a cross-dresser, which was amazing. <laughs> your daughter, your granddaughter was a cross-dresser. <laughs> good times. Very good times. Um, and then we have the rest of the exterminators, mm-hmm. which um, out of the three, I like the little duo pair. And if you stay mm-hmm. till the end of the film, there's a little Easter egg with them. I love um, that. Which is basically the, just they the camera pan back, pans back and kind of breaks that fourth wall. And you see a time lapse of the animators actually animating those two guys as they are speaking that dialogue, mm-hmm. which is just really incredible. 
loved that scene. And I love those two because I felt that they they were the most human. They weren't so one-sided. The little short guy clearly just was all evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was just, he was kind of like the Ed of yes. the two. <laughs> Ed. <laughs> um, I felt, yeah, he didn't really have much of, he was very flat character. Mm-hmm. But the others were like, wait, am I evil? I don't mm-hmm. think we are evil, but are we? Mm-hmm. I, I liked their, I liked their process. Yes. Um, and then we have the box trolls themselves, and I loved, like, this This movie had so many great things, you know, from, we talked about the different themes that they're able to portray so visually, to even just characters' names, because that's one thing that you can mm-hmm. kind of struggle with in a film, is remembering so many characters' names, and they made it super easy for you, you know, part of the box trolls is whatever box you put on, that's your name, so if you're wearing an egg box, your eggs, if you're wearing a shoe box, your shoe. Um, oil can is one of the, so all these really funny little things. And I, I loved that because, um, here's my question. How in the world did these box boxes stay so together over the course of 10 years? Like I've never had a box last that long, (laughs) especially one that gets daily use as apparel. (laughs) I don't have shoes that long. Someone should do that. The next big fashion designer should really <laughs> look box into the box look is in. <laughs> way <Ooh>. in <laughs> uh, so i love the box trolls and i loved how everyone was different you know not only visually with but just some were stout some were tall some were skinny everyone looked different although they were very androgynous in a way i'm not quite sure whether they are male or female but at least i think they tend to lead male but i don't know about you i didn't see a single female in the whole bunch <laughs> Tell me how maybe, this reproduction works. Maybe they are kind of androgynous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Probably. That's, we're just going to go with that. <laughs> the androgynous box trolls. You heard it first. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, man, I loved how they, one other thing that I loved is how they discovered that Eggs was a boy. And mm-hmm. even hit the conversation with Winnie and him, how we were just like, um, why don't you talk like them? I have a speech impediment, (laughs) you know, like all these weird things that I was like, really kid? Come Mm -hmm. on now. Well, I think we should have like a segment, a new segment to the podcast, which we saved till the end of, uh, unexplained plot devices or whatnot. (laughs) And and mine in this film is, okay, if the box trolls only speak their trollish language, (laughs) basically, how does eggs learn English? A speech impediment. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> I know, I know. They even answer that, but it's like, mm, not buying buy it. it. Not buying it. <laughs> <laughs> They're good times. Um, but And then there was the part where, you know, you had Winnie and, and Eggs talking about what a father is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was another really big part of this plot. And I remember the directors actually talking about how that was one of the main things that they really wanted to get in. But... It was one of those devices that they, like, fought for. And they couldn't figure out a way to get it in until they really, really flushed out the story. And I thought it added a lot. Um, Made it a lot deeper, not just with Winnie, but also with maybe with what Eggs thought of Mm -hmm. the upper world. Mm -hmm. And it definitely added kind of a... I don't know. I think I felt like it would have added kind of a duality to what he thinks the upper world is. Like, uh-huh. why would I want to live up there? If, like, that's what your dad is. That's the only father we've got, <laughs> you know? Um, but, uh, man, I just, I 
It was interesting that they threw that in. Yeah, and you know, even going along with that, one of the themes of this film is, you know, the boxes that represent us, whether that box is a literal box mm-hmm. or a hat or even a box that, such as a title of father. What does a father represent and, and what does a father do? Um, even the box trolls themselves have a hard time when the box comes off. Because mm-hmm. when eggs, <laughs> take, yeah, eggs takes it off and they become naked box trolls or just box trolls or just trolls i guess they they really have a hard time grasping that like you living don't have outside a, the box yeah living outside the box yes thinking outside the box all of the things <laughs> the box things <laughs> they they have a hard time doing that because the box is so ingrained in their identity mm-hmm. and at the very end you see how they're able to overcome it because they're going to basically be destroyed and Eggs is giving them that speech of, like, you have to stand up for yourself. Mm -hmm. And I love it because when you're first watching it, you see the boxes all shaking as if they're afraid, they're not going to do it, they're never going to come out of their box. Um, But then they show it again, it's sort of the flashback, and you see that they have listened to him and they are exiting, you know, they're leaving the box aside for, you know, the greater good, which is basically to survive and live. (laughs) Survival instincts kick in. Good job. (laughs) And then it's not about the box anymore, which, which is cool because, so I... I think this is actually one of the animated films the most that has helped me, that that just left me thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, there have been a few other other ones recently, but this was one specifically that I was, I was always thinking about the themes and the meanings. Now, I recently just saw a film called Norm of the North, which you will see my review on the YouTube channel, but that left me thinking about nothing except for when can I get out of here? <laughs> Ten minutes in. Oh, uh, but no. that's for another day. But it's, it's great because I think animation does have this stereotype. And, and the funny thing, going back to that uh, norm of the North, I had some friends who won passes. Uh, just they randomly got picked and they happened to be friends. And they took their kids. And I remember afterwards, like, I texted them, like, I am so sorry. <laughs> I, like, Aww. it was, I was, like, embarrassed that, like, you know, Hey, they, that. they won. <laughs> yeah, they were like, hey, this is great. We got free movie. Our kids love it. Like, who cares? They're like, this is kind of what you come to expect with, you know, a kid's film. And, yeah. and my heart just sunk. I was like, no, that's not what you come to expect from, an-, you know, by kid's film, they mean animation. Yeah. Like, that's, that's not, exactly should mean. be, like, our standard that you accept that it's just this trivial fluff that doesn't enlighten you anyway. And mm-hmm. I think Box Trolls really does a great job of showcasing that and really, you know, making you think about the duality of life. <laughs> well, and, you know, there's so many, so many industries. It just becomes so hammered back with, is it going to make the bottom line? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, like I said in the beginning, this is something, like is such a, has such a great place because they are still so on their own they don't have to bow down to anybody else for the money because they got that money (laughs) and um they've they've really been able to kind of stick with the the purity of the artistry um but it's i love seeing any type of movie that really goes out of their way to to shoot for the top uh, they go really out of the way to even, hey, I would love this movie, whatever movie I'm going to make, to be a contender for movie of the year. Mm-hmm. That's what I want to see. Yeah. And I feel like that's another thing that Laika really tries to do. Yeah, absolutely. 
not to say that all like Disney or DreamWorks or you know not saying that should be your goal. There are yeah. some films where that is not your goal. It's, it's just, not your goal, and, and, and I appreciate those as well. Yes, the romantic comedies, <laughs> the just you know, the goofy films, and yeah, and, you know, even in, even films to designed for kids yeah they, they do serve a purpose in a place they but do. i felt that this one transcended even the box that animation has been put in mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we are so good oh yeah oh yeah if you case you're wondering what the pause was it's because i just fist bumped because or, or you know thumbs up <laughs> i was very happy with that one that's a mason staple mason will always do good tying it back around yeah. like that but not me always but anyways <laughs> all right so any last kind of thoughts about this film you know i talking about it i loved the look of this film i loved how grungy it was mm-hmm. in the art book they talk about how you know nothing is is everything is kind of angular but it's not straight lines there's curves and there's squiggles and there's this and there's that and in the art book they talked about how one of their their lead artists had a kind of a, a shaky line in his drawing that that they were able to interpret into the actual physical models and sets and stages and um, I just loved how nothing is perfect here things mm-hmm. are wonky skewed you know um, even the thing that stands out the most to me is the coloring of the characters and their skin because it's not very well blended into this mm-hmm. perfect peach color or whatever color it's there's literally streaks of blues and yellows and, and reds uh, very I think you're mostly streets. you're mostly looking at Lula or Flula. Snatcher. Snatcher. Like Snatcher's coloring is just yes. really crazy. Even in Winnie's hair, she has very kind yeah. of obscure streaks, like a, a blue and, and a, you're, she's mostly a redhead, but then like yellow. And um, I just I just liked that they were able to even push the color palette and what you expect in mm-hmm. um, from design wise. Another thing that kind of came to my mind was when Eggs was coming out of the dungeons, mm-hmm. like he was coming into the the real world, um, and his kind of transformation in that. How I I love first off, I just love the costume that he picks out. The only thing <laughs> from the above ground world that he knows slash likes is this Italian opera quartet yes and so he ends up being in a barbershop yes. <laughs> like outfit because this is normal <laughs> <laughs> and then he like has to paint on the, the, the mustache. mustache and everything because you know this is normal <laughs> so i i felt like that was really funny i thought one of that yeah that the scenes that really stand out are when you can tell he's a fish out of water. So the first time he's in, you know, the above ground for the first time at that fair and kind of watching Which things. is for him. Yes. Unknowingly. <laughs> like, oh, it's my birthday party. Awesome. It's very much like Quasimodo in Hunchback it of is. Notre Dame. Yeah. You know, out there. He, he, he yeah. has that moment where he goes out into the square and he is the... the festival of fools mm-hmm. um I, I i saw a lot of parallels to that i saw a lot of few parallels to tarzan and the jungle book you know Mowgli and tarzan himself they are raised by these creatures other than themselves and then they have a moment where they you know, see their own kind and they have to adapt and so i i like that i love the ballroom scene the ballroom is so breathtaking it's amazing how many just the just the the scale that this film has it is one of the most complex animated stop motion animated Mm -hmm. films ever done and the ballroom scene alone is just 
an example of that. I remember thinking, how the heck did they do that? And yeah. that's one thing that is great about the Boda teachers because it's almost as if they had, you know, a, a pen and paper that anytime people asked them a question like, how the heck do you do this or how do you do that? They included it as a bonus feature. Mm-hmm. So specifically the ballroom scene is included and they break down and then you see it and you're like, they pull back the curtain. You're like, oh, Ooh. that's how. <laughs> I, yeah, that was one of the biggest, that was known as the hardest scene in the movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody said, oh, I think this one will be the hardest. Oh, this action scene will probably be mm-hmm, the hardest. Mm-hmm. But they said when they went into this meeting, this breakdown of all the different departments of seeing what they needed to do in order to make this happen, nobody was even talking. Mm-hmm. Nobody looked at each other. Like, they were just all thinking, how in the world are we going to make this happen? Mm-hmm. And they ended up like just taking so many different options like how are they going to make all of these the dancers come in and how are they going to film it all and one great thing i like about what Leica is doing is they also not only they don't stick with just stop motion but they utilize all of the tools that are there so they do utilize cg and this was one of those scenes where they definitely put in cg extras Mm -hmm. any of the main scene like the main people um if they got a credit in the, like they basically they were a main puppet and they were always a puppet they were never a 2d or i'm sorry a cgi character but any of the people that were just kind of around like those dancers um and basically anybody that doesn't interact physically with yeah. the puppet was cgi mm-hmm. and just watching how they put that whole thing together, like when Eggs goes and hides under the girl's dress and is like, they're thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to, we have to put these rings around this back of it and make, create this whole new thing. Um, so I just thought of all of the scenes, that was the most difficult to yes. do, which was impressive. Like, it was just like, interesting. You wouldn't think that yeah. that would be the scene. Yeah. Um, so one thing we didn't talk about is that this film was inspired, basically based on a book called Here Be Monsters by Alan Snow. It was originally published in 2005. And the thing about this book, it's not just a little picture children's book. Mm-hmm. It is a chapter book, a novel. It's 544 pages. Oh my. It is very, very expansive. And I remember in the, not only in the art book, but in the actual uh, bonus features they talk about they had all these things these great ideas that they wanted to incorporate into the film and they really had to pare back and just make it the bare bare bones of of a film and you know i think not that i am one to clamor for sequels very much but based on what it made it seem was the source material mm-hmm. and how much just great stuff they had i think it would be really cool to see a little more maybe maybe not you know i feel like I take that back. I think I have seen this world. I don't uh-huh. need to see more of this world, but nonetheless, I, I can imagine more. Of I this can world. imagine other cool things that they could have done. So again, we will. This is something that if you, I actually really want to listen to this, so uh-huh. or, or read this book. And if we have an Audible affiliate link, you can go to rotoscopers.com slash Audible, and that's where you can go and check out this book here be monsters and listen to it for yourself and compare it to the film uh if you have listened to it send us a voicemail we'd love to hear it so closing up what would you rate this film it was interesting because this is the second time that i've seen it um and here's the thing i really liked the movie i loved the aesthetic and if i were just going on aesthetic i'd give it a five Mm -hmm. like that was just it was amazing everything that Leica does is a five in aesthetics um 
as far as the whole vibe, it just wasn't like to my taste as far as like I want mm-hmm. to see all of this mm-hmm. world, but I enjoyed every bit of the movie itself. Um, I'm going to give it a, th- oh, I'm going vacillating between 3.5 and 4 stars. Um, I'm going to go with 3.5. I think there were just some ways that I didn't feel totally engulfed in. I don't know. That's just where it hit me. Mm-hmm. I'm, that's just where it is. I can't even tell you exactly why. But afterward, after the movie was done, I kind of asked myself, what would I rate this? Where do I rate this on my level of, I really liked this film. Mm-hmm. Um, and it came out at about a 3.54, like close to 4. So if I want to go 3.75, that's allowed now. It's allowed. So we're going to go there. (laughs) 3.75. Perfect. So initially I, on first viewing, I gave this film a 4.5. I do think one thing that I love about this film is how tight the story Mm -hmm. is. I don't feel that there's anything extraneous and and weird storylines that they have to introduce or weird characters just for the the heck of it. Uh, I think everyone serves a purpose and I love how fleshed out all these characters are. Um, Everyone has very clear motives for the most part out of the main uh, even the father or, or Snatcher or both, you know, Winnie has her motive. She's mm-hmm. not just the girl character that is there. Although women are significantly lacking in this film. The mom yes. you see for a brief second. And all she does is like, if <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then there's Winnie and then really that's it. But that's okay. I mean, I don't believe that you should have gender equality in films just for the sake of gender equality. Yeah. If this film only needed to be told from a male perspective with the majority of characters being male, that is fine by That's me. the story they're telling. That's the story they're telling. Um, so, you know, the funny thing is when we announced that we were doing this film, I was like, hmm, okay, cool. But I had a hard time getting myself to want to watch this film for some reason. I think having watched it again, it's just because this film is not fluff. I think this Uh film actually is something you need to pay attention at every moment. You do. Um, You can't be playing words with friends or or texting or kind of getting lost doing other multitasking things, which you can for other films. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's heavy in a way for, for what it is. And it has a lot of really, really great themes. So, you know, again, rewatching the film artistry stood out the design, uh, how every character is very fleshed out the tight plot. And I'm trying to decide whether I want to rate it 4.5, which is what I originally gave it or four. And I think because of the reason that I just, um, have a hard time, like getting excited about this movie. Like I love it in the moment when I'm watching it, but it's not one of those ones mm-hmm. that inspires awe and excitement. So I'm going to just say this time around, it's a four for me. Mm-hmm. The first time it was a 4.5. Maybe if I watch it in a year, it'll be a 4.5 again. But right now it is just a four. So <laughs> and you say just, just like, is amazing. Okay. I hope like four stars, like still, that's still a, an A or B. Is that a B? B, B minus that's typically a, if we're yeah, going by that scale. But, that scale but. Well, that makes me feel crappy about this should be at least, okay 4.5 if we're gonna rank, okay it's a it's a four out of five four out of five but if i were to rank it on a grading scale it'd probably be an a minus so i'd give it a b how does that how, how does that add up i, I don't know <laughs> we are obviously Again, great at math here. all of these are arbitrary in our ratings it doesn't matter it's it really just doesn't. our thoughts 
Thanks for joining us for this episode. Uh, really excited that we were able to review this film. This was one of the patrons' choice, and thank you, Netflix, for making it available. Thank you, uh, first off, Leica for creating this film, and we were able to, you know, watch have a lot of ancillary preparation for this film, which mm-hmm. I really... That's one reason I really actually... I do love this film. Yeah. I'm still holding by my four at the point, but I just love... Uh, how deep everything relating this yeah. film behind the scenes art book everything is so definitely go check those out rotoscopers.com slash 113 is where I'll include all the links to our previous reviews in addition to links where you can buy all of these various things that we talked about because they are worth it it's mm-hmm. definitely worth your time uh, the art it, book I swear is one of those books that was like mm-hmm. well and because with the art book again with with stop motion it just has this extra level of intrigue in the fact that it is such a different process from what you're used to it's not just here's a sketch and then here's the the sketch realized in a computer or through 2d mm-hmm. it's here's a sketch and here's how it's realized in the 3d world and with texture and fabric and physical yeah. elements it's so good i i can't stop blushing about that book so <laughs> check it out awesome also if you want to send a voicemail to us make sure to head on over to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails you can also give us a call at 406-646-6575 and we love hearing your guys's thoughts make sure to stay tuned to rotoscopers.com at the very bottom of the website we always post um, a schedule of our next episodes and we are really excited about the lineup that's coming up if you're on iTunes, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. If you're on Stitcher Radio, Stitcher Radio. Um, if you're on the website, find either one of those or just keep coming back to the website. We're good with that. Next podcast, I know that we talked about this on our 2015 episode, but when we did the Roto Trivia, next podcast, it, we didn't, we weren't able to get as many um submissions in this week just because of kind of how everything worked out with timing you have more time (laughs) we are extending the deadline so you can enter so yes so we still have the top three people that are going to be that do that will be getting a free t-shirt Rotoscopers t-shirts. Yeah. <laughs> and then after that, we also have another thing that goes along with iTunes. Morgan? Yes. So we are going to be highlighting more people who give us five-star reviews on the show. So if you do leave us a five-star review, we're going to read one every single episode and just, you know, give a little blurb of something that you say. But in addition to that, anyone who rates us, whether it's a one, two, five star review, an actual written review, um, they're going to be entered into a drawing as a thank you. And we are going to be giving away an art book of your choice, which is pretty exciting. Wait, wait what? Yeah. We're giving away an art book. Like, an art book. Like whatever Just they want. Whatever they want, as long as it's still in print. Okay. So the the, the epic art of the Lion King and the art of Aladdin, some of those old school like, ones that are Prince of Egypt. Come eight, on, eight, now. Bucks on Amazon, those are disqualified and not <laughs> eligible. But if it's still in production and you know within a reasonable amount, most art books are around thirty uh-huh. to forty dollars. So that will definitely be included. So if you've had this art book that you've always wanted, you know, hey, let us foot the bill and we will send it to you anywhere in the world, yeah. which is pretty cool. So. Definitely, if you haven't left us a review already, of course, if you've already read us, left us a review, 
We've done previous contests similar to this, but you can uh, also update your review too. update your review and let us know. And you will be entered into that. So that's something pretty, pretty exciting. Just to thank you guys for being listeners of the show and for always supporting us. And again, next week we will read one of those five star reviews on the air. And thank you to people who have already left us those. All right. So other than that, you can find me. I am Morgan Stradling on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at Morgan Stradling is how you find that. You can find me, Chelsea Robson, that's C-H-E-L-S-E-A-R-O-B-S-O-N, on Twitter. You can also find my website, ChelseaRobson.com. You can also find me on Instagram or Periscope or basically anything that says Chelsea Robson. I'm kind of there. It's her. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The original. The the original. The OG Chelsea Robson. Except on Snapchat because somebody else took that one. So, yeah. Jerk. Mm. (laughs) <laughs> why it's very important to find the new up and coming social media and snag your name just like peach the new hot thing everyone's talking about what is this peach? peach i must get on we will talk about it later but uh go snag your name on peach before someone else does like that other chelsea <laughs> so uh, also we cannot forget our amazing hilarious co-host mason he brings so much to the show he will be back next episode you can find him on twitter at mason smtx also his blog at this And thanks for joining us, guys. Next episode is going to be an amazing one, so stay tuned. And until next time, we are the Rotoscopers. That was a good one. (laughs)